Okay, so we might just get started. Um, thank you to all of you who are zooming in. Um, before we begin with the webinar, I would first like to acknowledge and pay respect to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is upon their lands that the University of Sydney is built and it is on their lands that I currently find myself on uh, in the US Studies Center uh, Institute Building Office. As we share our own knowledge, teaching, learning, and research practices tonight, may we also pay respect to and learn from the knowledge embedded forever within the Aboriginal custodianship of the country. I'm sure we can all agree that COVID-19 pandemic is a challenge that needs to be addressed at the global level, despite the very real differences in strategic aims and domestic politics of the major players in the international system. On the international cooperation front, one of the most striking trends in the news reports and commentary on the pandemic has been tracking the origin, direction and size of aid and relief efforts. Not a day has passed with yet another tally of who sent medical supplies, equipment and even experts to whom and how quickly. These have not been seen as a welcome sign of solidarity among nations, but rather a harbinger of growing major power rivalry. China's and to an extent Russia's relief efforts as of late have been increasingly scrutinized. In particular, whether their mass diplomacy will win hearts and minds and change stance in different states and regions to challenge US and European leadership. Not helping matters is the impression that the United States has abdicated its leadership role in helping to address the problems of governing the global commons, along with the lagged and disjointed response to the pandemic coming from the European Union in the early days of the pandemic. So it is my great pleasure to welcome Philippe Lacour to help us address some of these issues tonight, or uh, this morning, uh, if you're on Brittany time, as Philippe is. Philippe's list of affiliations and bylines is rather long, so I'll keep it very brief. Uh, Philippe Lacour is currently a research associate with the Harvard Kennedy School and a non-resident senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He's also a fellow in resident, uh, residence at CY Sergi Paris University. And prior to his current roles, Philippe has held appointments at the Brookings Institution, French Ministry of Defense, Consultancy, and way before that, he used to be a foreign correspondent. Philippe is one of the foremost experts on Europe-China relations, which is why he was summoned to testify in front of the US House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee uh, several times over the past couple of years. So there is really no better person to talk about the US-Europe-China nexus. And before I yield to Philippe for his opening remarks, I would like to remind all of you that uh, you can submit your questions as we go through our discussion via the Q&A box. Uh, we look forward to getting many of you engaged in our discussion tonight, so it would be really greatly appreciated if you can keep your questions just as questions rather than comments. So without further ado, uh, Philippe, the mic is all yours. Thank you very much, Garana, and uh, thank you for your very kind words. Uh, I'm delighted to be, to be here, and thank you to you for having me. Thank you to Janine, Mora, and the USSC team. I'm delighted to be uh, facing a, an unusual audience uh, for me, but these days, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you can speak to the whole world. And, um, and indeed, <clears throat> I'm going to talk a little bit to you about um, um, China-Europe relations in the context of, of COVID-19, as, as the pandemic is, is now known. Um, and um, obviously, um, this has sort of accelerated the, the situation and the relationship uh, between these two blocks, uh, you could say. Um, although the year 2019 was already uh, a pretty pivotal year, I would say, with a, a major um, uh, statement that came out of the EU um, back in April 2019. But obviously, you know, this is a long-standing relationship. Um, China was very keen to celebrate this year the uh, 45th anniversary of relations between itself, the PRC, and the European Union. So this is the, <clears throat> the anniversary of this uh, diplomatic link, so to speak. But of course, there are links between member states as well, you know, Germany, France, the UK, still part of the EU, 
as well as all the other members with different degrees of, of, uh, of, of uh, closeness, you know, particularly former members of the, um, you know, uh, socialist bloc in, in Eastern Europe, I'm thinking of. Um, so, you know, China has been sort of steadily rising uh, over the past uh, 30 years, we all know that, but in Europe, it's translated into, um, you know, um, a very uh, massive trade relations. Uh, the EU and China are trading uh, uh, 1 billion euro a day of goods, which is quite significant. And also, if we can move to the, to the first of my slides, um, the, um, the investments from, um, from China into uh, Europe have been, uh, have been rising uh, and, and, and with 2016 being a, being a peak year uh, for, for the, um, the Chinese investments in technology, but also in um, infrastructures. And, and of course, uh, uh, these are the technology transfers that everybody talks about, um, but also infrastructures. Um, um, China has been investing in, in uh, um, you know, airports, ports, uh, highways, um, although I have to say, you know, for the past uh, two years, it's been, it's been dropping, uh, if we can move to the next slide. Um, and, um, and, then, and then obviously, it's also um, still quite spread out. As you can see, the UK is uh, by far the first uh, recipient of Chinese investments, followed by um, uh, Germany, France, Italy, um, and so it's all over the place. And, and of course, uh, what, one big question that we may, we may ask today, as we stand, uh, um, are we facing a 2008 moment? Um, and 2008 was the Lehman Brothers, the, the, the crisis, sub, subprime, subprime crisis, which led China to opportunistically move into the um, the European Union, uh, some of the weaker states that were facing debt and, 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 and uh, dear economic conditions that led them to, to, to call upon uh, outsiders uh, to, to help them financially and to buy some of their state assets. That, that was the case particularly between um, you know, China and Italy, Greece, Portugal, these countries, many of them in, in the south of Europe. Um, now, of course, um, we don't know about that, and I'll come back in my second part on, on the, the sort of the direct consequences of, of, of this, uh, of the, the current pandemic uh, in Europe and, and, the, and the core subject uh, of, of today, of our, of our conversation. But if we can move to the next slide, of course, um, you all know about the Belt and Road Initiative, and, and you can see from this map quite clearly that uh, all the roads uh, lead to Europe, and, and that China's ambition has always been, since the, the initiative was launched, the BRI in 2013, uh, the, the initiative is to, is to build roads and, and, and uh, highways and railways and, and maritime routes to, to, uh, to Europe in order to, to, of course, make use of the massive uh, consumer market in, um, in, in, in Europe. But you know whether the BRI will continue, whether 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 China will continue to use this as a geopolitical tool, as we know, um, and and I'm not too sure because obviously there haven't been many takers in the EU. The takers are many outside the EU, particularly in the West Balkans, um, countries like Serbia and and, and uh, Montenegro in particular. Um, but you know, so far uh, the the large countries have been a little bit uh, uh, reluctant, and, um, and and also the perception of China, if we can go to the, the next slide, um, has not been um, that good. And in fact, it hasn't been. It has been rather mixed over the past uh, couple of years. And these are these are figures from uh, 2018, but actually they are they are more recent figures that are pointing out to a drop in the, the, the perception of, uh, of China. And China, which, as we know, is trying to, to build itself as a, as a world leader, as an alternative to the United States, uh, may not uh, actually uh, be in a position to do so, including in Europe. If we can go to the next slide, um, you, you can see that, uh, um, you know, um, in, in, in many countries, 
um, the, the, the role uh, that, that China wants to play uh, is not, um, you know, it's not translating into, into uh, uh, more, more support for, um, for, for China. And, and despite the fact, you know, it, it's been investing in ports, in infrastructures, as I was saying, there's, there's so much going on. There's been uh, initiatives to build sort of parallel diplomacy between China and, and, and parts of Europe, including Eastern Europe. There's a, a mechanism called the, 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 the 17 plus one with all the Eastern and Central European countries talking to China as a, as a group of countries, which has somewhat split Europe that hasn't really helped the, the, the perception from the, from the EU institution. And in any case, uh, as I said earlier, the, the acquisitions and other equity investments from, from, uh, from China have been sort of uh, dropping, uh, mainly due to the fact, um, uh, you know, there's been a, a lot of irrational capital outflows to use uh, uh, the Chinese uh, rhetoric. Um, and so that, therefore, the investments are more start targeted. Um, if we can go to the next slides, you know, Xi Jinping as a leader, as a world leader, uh, certainly very assertive. He wants to, he wants China to take center stage. He wants China to be a world leader. People are fairly, you know, proud in China. The vast majority are supporting this, this, this attitude. But if you look country by country, uh, including Australia, I see on this chart, uh, it's not a foregone conclusion, uh, far from that. And, and in fact, uh, you know, in, in America, the latest uh, pools from, from Pew, uh, which I'm, 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 I'm showing here, uh, are, are basically revealing a 20-point drop from, from uh, you know, uh, two years ago, which means really, the, of course, the US-China relationship is at the one of the worst points of its history. Um, and, and, and of course, in Europe, things are, are more, uh, it's more of a, of a mixed picture. But if we can move to the, to, to the next slide. Um, it's, um, it's still, you know, the, 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 the same uh, uh, figures uh, showing, uh, you know, if you take, uh, if you take the UK, it's down. If you take France, it's down from, from 41 to 33. If you take Spain, 42 to 39. And uh, Italy is, uh, is up, in, interestingly, but I'm not too sure what will happen. Uh, and I'm going to talk about, uh, about Italy in particular, because I wrote, some of you may, may have seen my, um, my paper on, on Italy and China. Um, it, it, it was up because, of course, last year, a, a, a memorandum of understanding was signed uh, by the Italian government when Xi Jinping, uh, President Xi Jinping traveled to, to China, uh, sorry, to Italy. And the idea was that China was going to invest in, in ports, in Trist, in, um, in Genoa, and, 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 and make Italy a hub for the, the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, of course, this, all this, and if we can go to the next slide, all this was, um, of course, um, and, and I'm not going to show perhaps um, too many of these slides. They, they, they show basically that, you know, the, the, the perceptions are, 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 are going along a, a sort of rising China and, and they, they are leading to um, very mixed uh, uh, attitudes and, 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 uh, and feelings um, in, in, in different parts of the world. Um, particularly vis-a-vis -vis the, the sort of the human rights aspects, but also um, when it comes to European, the lack of reciprocity between China and the EU, um, the, 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 the role of the Chinese state, uh, the procurement aspects in China itself, where a lot of European companies or foreign companies in general do not really uh, uh, do not have full access to the Chinese market. This is a very much, you know, state-controlled economy, uh, markets, and so on. And and there's no sign of of, of easing up, uh, so to speak, despite you know the current uh, situation. And uh, if we can move to the next slide, uh, Mara. Um, you know, what happened last year was really important uh, in, uh, in April of, of 2019. Uh, in fact, around the same time, uh, just a week before the visit by President Xi to Italy, um, the uh, EU 
released these 10 actionable steps for, for the EU vis-a-vis uh, -vis China and, and called on China to pick its emissions of uh, uh, CO2. And it called for China to deliver on, on existing joint uh, EU-China commitments um, and to um, enhance you know, high-level high levels of labor, environmental standards, and, 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 and may, may mainly you know, give access to the, to the, uh, to the uh, European companies. Um, and, and, and because there was a real sort of imbalance between Chinese FDI in Europe and, and European uh, investments in, uh, in uh, China, which has have become, of course, that wasn't the case at the beginning, but now it has become much more difficult to invest. Now, of course, um, let's, let's sort of move, move on now to, the, to my, my, my second part, which is more about what has changed um, with, with COVID-19. And, and although, you know, geopolitics may come second to the sanitary situation, it's fair to say that China has increased its uh, uh, political footing in, in, in Europe. Uh, through um, uh, public diplomacy, particularly, and and one of the things that uh, Gorona mentioned in her introduction has been um, the the aid uh, su supplied by China uh, in, in in March of this year, particularly March and April, and and it's been taken um, um, by most countries. Uh, some of them uh, for political reasons, and um, that includes Hungary and Serbia, particularly. Uh, but some of them didn't have much choice. Uh, the reason, of course, is, uh, uh, you know, when, when you're facing such a sanitary crisis, you cannot really uh, close the door to people who are offering uh, help. But, but what I need to say as well is that before China offered uh, assistance uh, to these countries, uh, European countries themselves provided help to China in February, back in early February. And that wasn't at all reported in the Chinese media. So, you know, because China wasn't very comfortable. It wasn't fitting the sort of message from the Chinese Communist Party that, you know, China can, 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 can you know, handle the situation itself, by itself, without anybody's help. Um, whenever there's a crisis in China, China is always happy to take help, but without publicizing it. And, and it's very difficult for foreign embassies in China to, to get any kind of coverage. Uh, particularly these days, I would say, under, under the current leadership. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the, the help that was provided by the EU, um, by Italy, by France, by Germany, by, by the European Union itself, uh, you know, wasn't really uh, acknowledged. On the other hand, and that sort of leads to, to, to our core point, um, in, in March particularly, you had planes full of... Um, um, you know, Chinese um, masks and, and test kits and ventilators, and 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 that was that was that was sent to to uh, many countries. One of them was Italy. Uh, Italy, of course, is the most uh, uh, one of the most hurt uh, European countries by the pandemic. I happened actually to spend two weeks in Italy in February and had to uh, quarantine myself uh, for two weeks after that. Um, and, and of course, that, that was a shocking sort of, uh, um, you know, crisis and it's still, you know, going on. And, and, um, and some politicians, now Italian politics are, are very complex, obviously, with, uh, you know, different uh, you know, political players. And some of them uh, took advantage of the situation to say, look, you know, we have, I have this close relationship with, uh, with China and they, they, this is real international cooperation when, you know, uh, other Europeans maybe are not are not helping. In fact, you know, if you look at the figures, it's actually not true. The the the, the French and the Germans actually provided more help to Italy than than China. Plus, uh, the, the the Chinese help was doubled by 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 Chinese uh, business operations because, in fact, you know, most of the masks were actually purchased by. Uh, by, by, by European countries, not received uh, free of charge. But the, those that were given, including by you know, a, a well-known e-commerce company, which I, I don't need to, to name, uh, and another telecom company, which I don't need to name either, uh, you know, these were, of course, for business reasons. And, and uh, 
The problem is, so what do you do with this? What do you do with such a sort of a, a obvious um, a public diplomacy campaign, uh, propaganda, uh, many uh, Twitter accounts were set up by China in the past few months. China, Twitter is not allowed in, in, in China. Um, but it's allowed abroad. And, and then Chinese ambassadors have started using uh, Twitter uh, to, to broadcast, if you want, uh, uh, news about, about Chinese help, Chinese, and the needs for, for other countries to um, engage with China to, to deal with the, the, the pandemic. Um, but of course, uh, uh, the, the problem was uh, lately, uh, and that's the, the latest development, if you want, um, the EU, uh, the EU's foreign ministry, um, the European uh, External Action Service, came up with a report about, about this, about the, the narratives, about the, uh, uh, the, the origins of the virus, particularly. And, and, and China put so much pressure to the, to the EES that the, the part of the report that looked at this uh, propaganda aspects, that included actually some, some very aggressive messages on, 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 on some of the Chinese embassies websites all over Europe, particularly in France and Italy, in fact, saying that you know, the, the Europeans were not able to handle the crisis very well that medical personnel were actually letting people die, which is extremely offensive, really, and, and untrue. Um, so that part was sort of self-censored by the ES, which is, of course, not, not, not a very good sign. And there's a second thing that took place recently, is an, an opinion piece by the uh, EU ambassador to China and, and co-signed by other ambassadors, uh, where uh, one paragraph about the origins of the, of the virus, of, of the COVID-19, was also cut by the Chinese uh, publication, which is China Daily. That, that's of course, that, that has led to a lot of uh, resentment and, and, um, and bad feelings in Brussels. And the, the relationship is, is, is also not very good, to be honest. And there are talks following the, the, the visit by President Xi last year, um, by, by this 10 um, action step, uh, plan I, I, I addressed earlier, and um, you know there was hope that people were going to address the um, the investment uh, bilateral treaty. That's not going anywhere. Um, and in fact, uh, now people are talking, of course, uh, in the context of COVID-19, of the the supply chain issues, diversification, um, and uh, you know whether. Um, whether multinationals from Europe, but, but of course that's the case all over the world, will uh, displace some of them, some of their investments back to other parts of the world, including in Vietnam, for example, or, or in Europe itself. So um, just to, to, to conclude uh, on, on this uh, rather long introduction, <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a very interesting uh, moment we, we're going through. Obviously, it's, it's been very uh, traumatic, um, but, um, but, it, but it's also a wake-up call for, for many people. Uh, in fact, you know, um, uh, Beijing's handling of the pandemic uh, has, has, has changed perhaps uh, Europe's long-standing uh, uh, assumptions about its reliability. Um, and there are, um, you know, the, the, the medical supply uh, issue is, uh, is, uh, is, is kind of over. Now we, we're moving on from that. But, but the, from, on issues such as the supply chains and ideological um, competition, European governments have moved on. You know, they, they, they now uh, see a different um, dynamics uh, between the EU and, and and, and China and, and now of course the, the dialogue is not is not as strong as it should be. I mean there was an EU China summit uh, planned for March because that never took place. There will perhaps be a call at some point, but um, the next one will be the Leipzig uh, meeting in September that Chancellor Merkel was very keen on hosting. But that's not even confirmed. That's not in the cards because nothing is really uh, moving. So I think you know on the European side. Uh, there is really um, a, a, a feeling that, that, that China is, is prepared to go for a sort of ideological 
battle that is you know very much ready to criticize whoever uh, rewrites the, the 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 china perspective and uh, at the same time you know you have the role of taiwan that what you know was the the world health organization the taiwan was considered as a as a very good um um having handled the pandemic pretty well and south korea as well um so you know it's not it's not going to be business as usual it's going to be a a, a much harder uh, uh situation now, of course the transatlantic relationship which i'm sure gorana has a lot to say about it, it, it's another complicated one and, and including vis-a-vis uh, china and and it's it's a, it's a complicated moment with the u.s presidential election uh, uh in, in in just in less than six months so i'll leave it there and i i am sure gorana has a has a lot to interesting things to say well thank you for that philippe that was uh hugely informative and educational uh plenty of threads there i've seen some questions have already trickled in and i would like to again uh point you to the q a box where you can post questions rather than comments uh, in an effort to engage as many of you uh, who are zooming in. But um, I might just kick off a bit of a discussion with you, uh, Philippe, around a couple of points that you raised. And the first one uh, relates to uh, uh, your point on the lessons learned from 2008. Um, and I think that it speaks broadly to this idea now that, you know, at times when um, Certainly, if we think about 2008 and the effects of the global financial crisis that basically threw the European Union or the European continent uh, into sovereign debt crisis, um, there was obviously this sort of sense that you know only austerity measures would would fly, basically sell off, right? And then who is the the the, the only bidder in town? Uh, there was China, right? Now uh, maybe some lessons have been learned, but certainly. Um, on, on a lot of different fronts, we see again these potential openings simply because, uh, again, due to some of the uh, uh, infightings within the European Union, it's much harder to find that sort of funding. And again, uh, maybe there is that kind of pocket of, of opportunism that, that's opening up for China. But not just here in terms of those kind of issues around, say, critical infrastructure, we see a lot of debates obviously going on around 5G or infrastructure uh, more broadly. Um, basically, there's a lot of hand over no you can't go with China obviously but then there is this lack of what is the alternative right when it comes to 5g what what is what is it going to be you know Nokia Ericsson someone else um, when it comes to infrastructure are some of these efforts to try to actually quench the thirst for infrastructure investment uh, sufficient enough to answer those calls. So um, this is, you know, this was more of a comment rather than a question. So don't take my uh, my tip here. Uh, do what I, you know, don't uh, do what I'm, I'm doing. Uh, do rather what I was saying earlier. But maybe uh, some of the uh, your initial observations on on, on um, those points. Yes, thank you, Garana. Well, I would just, you know, start by by uh, pointing out that. Uh, Germany and France just agreed to, to put together a, a 500 billion euro package to relaunch the, the European economy. And that is this fund, uh, it's a fund, will, will, will really help uh, relaunch not just uh, the northern uh, European economy, but also the south. And I think, you know, there's a real question which you, you alluded to about the, the, the division, the, the, the north-south divide in, in, in Europe. And in fact, uh, there's also an east-west divide. Um, uh, and China, you know, has a, a very interesting way of uh, sort of uh, re redrawing the map of Europe, you know, in its sort of official documents. And, and, and certainly, you know, the east of Europe, uh, uh, this group of countries, it considers that as very close friends due to the, the, the background of some of, 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 of these countries. And Southern Europe obviously has more sort of a cultural and, and, uh, and uh, historical um, values in common with, uh, with the, the, the rest of, of, of perhaps Northern Europe. But, but the lifestyle um, and the state of the economies, uh, 
um, all kinds of things make it perhaps in, in a more difficult uh, uh, situation. And, and, and the fact that the, you know, the two largest EU nations, uh, which are you know, also facing difficulties, certainly uh, France, uh, um, they, are, they are willing to help uh, the south of Europe to integrate better and, and also uh, to prevent uh, too many outsiders to, to take advantage of the situation. And that includes, I forgot to mention, there's a screening mechanism vis-a-vis -vis, you know, uh, foreign invest, investments in technology and infrastructures. This is now currently, as, as we speak, being, being implemented. Uh, you know, the president of the European Commission has underline the fact that you know we need to strengthen these these mechanisms um, and um, 5g of course is a big issue around the corner i have the feeling that it, things are being slowed down a little bit due to many other priorities but but obviously it's 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 a top one really it's it should be a priority because obviously one the day the day we have 5g and the day whoever controls 5g will have a lot of powers over over our lives uh and that therefore um the idea is to is to to to, to split contracts and to and and to 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 help maybe european players and and, and uh, in order for uh, uh, strategic assets to remain in the hands of of, uh, of um, national um, uh, you know economies um and i've just seen uh, quite a few questions already trickling in so i might actually uh, post some of those because they do speak to some of the issues that i wanted to touch uh, uh, on as well and we might get back also to other things that i've noted down so uh, i might uh, address two questions together posed by jim orchard and martin gordon um, that basically speak to the kind of broader theme of uh, whether uh, uh, china is really getting the buck for its uh, investment, so to speak, given what some of the figures that you've shown. So uh, it's providing a lot of money, but not getting a lot of public support, seemingly, uh, at least in, in Western Europe, uh, uh, judging by, by some of uh, what you've shown. So um, is it misplacing its diplomatic uh, hand? Uh, it's, is it kind of uh, lacking understanding of maybe the reception in, in um, some of these places? What would you say? So, you know, a lot of, uh, of propaganda that China is conducting, and this, this, is, uh, this is what China is doing, really. It's not uh, public relations. It's, uh, it, calls, it, it called this propaganda. So let's use that term. Um, it, it's, it's really mainly uh, directed at, at the Chinese audience. The idea of having uh, Italians singing the, the Chinese national anthem over a, a, a sort of a, a fake video in, in, in Rome uh, is, is obviously not, not for the Italian public, but that, that took place and that was tweeted by uh, um, a, a Chinese foreign ministry uh, spokesman. Um, in, in terms of you know, um, European countries, it's a, a little bit early to say whether you know, uh, people have a good, a better image of China, uh, uh, my feeling and the figures I've shown um, perhaps um, say otherwise, but, but obviously the, the pandemic is still happening and the crisis was still there. Um, my own perception is that it, it, it's been a bit too far. Uh, the, the messaging is not right. Um, people are concerned with their values. Uh, they, they, they're concerned with their lifestyle and they see a, a fairly aggressive uh, uh, rhetoric which, uh, which is not going to help uh, uh, China's image. On the other hand, you know, that may, that may work in some, uh, some authoritarian countries. Uh, it, certainly the case of Serbia is really interesting. Somebody asked about Serbia. Um, uh, President uh, Alexander Vucic, who is the uh, rather uh, authoritarian, uh, to say the least, uh, president of Serbia has called China its best friend, and you know, let's go along with China. And, and you know, and the EU is not. Uh, I mean, it, it's this anti-EU uh, 
language which he's familiar with and of course um, uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary as well has been doing that. At the same time, I mean, Hungary is an EU member and receives a lot of subsidies from, the Euro from Europe and Serbia is, is a candidate member and it would like to be a member as well. So, you know, there's, there's really a balancing as well in whether you can accept too, too much criticism and at the same time, um, uh, you know, uh, giving uh, funding to these countries. Uh, meanwhile, China is not going to replace the EU in either of these countries, and certainly not in, in the south of Europe uh, as well. Um, in in Africa, on Africa, I see there's a question here. Uh, now, obviously, you, you you may have heard about what happened to some of the some of the African students in uh, in, in southern China, in particular in Guangzhou, um, some racist acts. Um, that, that led to a lot of backlash in Africa itself. Uh, some of the countries, uh, uh, Kenya particularly, reacted and, 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 and were very critical of China, which is not good for China's image either, because it, you know, China has been trying to gather um, African leaders uh, every other year. There was one meeting uh, two years ago in Beijing where China agreed to provide more aid. At the same time, um, this aid is tied. Uh, it's 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 certainly not uh, different. It's quite different from from the EU, for example. Uh, China provides loans when the EU provides grants, and and uh, and then of course at the same time when when Africans uh, are not being well uh, treated in China, and when uh, um, and and we'll see what happens with the pandemic as well. I mean, in Africa, it's 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 a little too early to to say. Great. Um... We might move on to a question from Christine Conlon, um, who has pointed to a very interesting uh, skywriting public diplomacy. I don't know if you have been updated on what's been happening on the skies over Sydney and Canberra. That's what no, I, I am. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being updated right now. You're being updated. So basically, uh, you know how you can order planes to like um, ride anything in the sky. And uh, over the past couple of days, we've seen these messages on the sky saying Taiwan can help. So um, Christine is asking, what do you think this message was intended to mean? So we've had actually some chatter. Uh, we've, we've seen at least or I've seen on Twitter around the public diplomacy effort. But I would be curious to uh, hear from you about the whole uh, saga over the WHO and uh, one of the uh, members of the directorate, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, basically hanging up on that sky, uh, Skype uh, call and uh, the, the, the kind of model that Taiwan can, can provide uh, in, in dealing with the pandemic? So, as you know, Taiwan is, is, a, is a small island uh, off the China coast. It's been separate from, from, from the mainland since 1949. And therefore, China has managed to exclude uh, Taiwan from pretty much every international organization uh, we know. Um, that includes the WHO. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Taiwan uh, handled the, the, the situation from a very early stage uh, pretty well, uh, as many islands, I must say, um, uh, and, uh, and was able to... Including ourselves. To, yes, was able to keep the numbers uh, rather low. And at the same time, China started, uh, and of course, uh, China is a huge country, and, 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 and it's, it's very difficult to... to to cope with a situation like that, with a massive population and territory like, like, like this. Uh, but, but certainly Taiwan uh, was able to, to find practical means to, to help and, and offered some help to the WHO and offered to, to be part of the, of, the, of the conversation. But China sort of blocked that. And um, it's interesting that Taiwan donated some, some also some equipment to, to different uh, countries around the world. So you could say that Taiwan also uh, practiced public diplomacy, uh, which is unusual um, because Taiwan, of course, is quite small and it, it's very sort of self-centered uh, and, and blocked in many ways whenever it tries to do anything. Um, so, you know, even the EU president, Ursula von der Leyen, actually acknowledged uh, Taiwan's um, uh, success, which is very unusual for, for an EU leader to, to, to say. 
Um, and, and so the problem is, you know, how concretely can Taiwan help? And, um, and, and at the same time, there's the Taiwan-China relationship, which is still very tense. And President Tsai Ing-wen has been re-elected back in January. She will have her second term starting very soon. And people, you know, are, are, are um, implying that, you know, that may lead to some, uh, some strong reactions from China. And, and so it's not going to be easy. But Taiwan did have a good crisis, so to speak. And, and, uh, and, 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 and it's a good example of, 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 of a, a well-managed uh, country. Great, moving on with, with questions from the audience. So um, Rodney Allen posed the question whether um, the EU or Australia uh, has a, a better chance resisting some of these uh, moves, um, like applying economic or trade pressure in order to shape geopolitical environments. So Rodney is saying uh, whether uh, is it that the EU model of kind of collegial or uh, collective decision making is a better uh, way of providing opportunity to resi resist these moves or uh, a unitary state uh, such as Australia. So I guess, you know, we, we're moving into the sort of uh, uh, US-Europe uh, relations and then I would include uh, Australia and, and, and I, I, we haven't mentioned his name yet, but the, the US president, obviously, uh, his presence. And, That's and a record for us, actually. I think 42 minutes into a webinar at the US Study <laughs> Center. Um, yeah, if there was a drinking game, a lot of people would still be sober. So unfortunately, uh, U.S.-China um, uh, frictions are, are all over the place, and and then uh, you know it's going to be a very uh, um, China-related uh, presidential campaign in the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, as most of them are, but this one especially uh, with with Donald Trump and Joe Biden will probably have to 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 do a bit of the same. Although he will probably be more inclusive and, and talk to allies, um, to uh, Australians, Europeans, Japanese. Um, and, and then from the European side, of course, uh, they, the European leaders do not want to use such a confrontational language. Um, and, uh, you know, Europe is very much into uh, multilateralism. Um, you know, whether on, on, on health issues, whether on, on, on trade, um, and, and therefore, uh, you know, I mean, WTO is an example, and the U.S. is not interested, WHO, Trump is threatening to, to leave within a month, uh, you know, if, if no improvements. All these threats do not help any kind of dialogue. And in fact, you know, China, the U.S. is really, uh, I mean, came out of all, you know, all these organizations that, that we know about, treaties. Um, therefore, you know, it's, it's a very bad um, uh, situation where, where the, 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 the top, um, the leading nation is not leading at all. And, uh, we have uh, this leadership vacuum with an aspiring leader who obviously for all the things I said uh, in the past 45 minutes is not ready to lead, that's China. And then you have an existing uh, uh, superpower which is withdrawing. And, and uh, so therefore ha uh, having conversations with no, uh, no partners is, is, is difficult. Um, so we have to hope for, for the best, but um, uh, in Europe itself, you, the EU is actually a, um, you know, an organization where, where conversations take place all the time. It's part of the nature. Uh, that also leads to divisions because it's very difficult to get unanimity for, for, for many uh, uh, decisions. And that's why sometimes the EU appears weak or, or inconsistent. At the same time, you know, when you have 20, 27 countries, uh, what, what, what can you say? It's not a federation, it's not like the US. And then the sort of transatlantic uh, aspect of this, uh, I think is even more important now than it was um, uh, a few months ago. Um, contacts with, with like-minded countries uh, as well, um, and I, I hope you know the the European approach, which is now taking place with the um, the, the German Franco-German uh, fund. I, I, I 
stated earlier, um, and, and uh, at least uh, a good relationship between Germany and France, which is usually in France, which is usually the key to a successful Europe, even though you know, divisions will remain, you have populist leaders criticizing. At the same time, if Germany and France get along well and, 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 and manage to, to, to give and take, and, and help uh, those countries that, that are not in such a good shape. And, and when I say that, you know, uh, even Germany and France are also suffering. That will show the way, perhaps, to a, a more sort of international approach. At the same time, I'm not saying we should close the door entirely to China, of course. And China, you know, Xi Jinping himself, a few, um, just yesterday, was uh, uh, calling for an international investigation. But it came short of saying, you know, there should be an international investigation in China itself about the origins of the, of the COVID-19 uh, virus. So that's, that's going to be a problem because, you know, obviously this is a world crisis. And if we cannot go to the source, to the origins of this crisis, um, there's going to be frustrations and, and, and there's going to be bad feelings. So before we move on to the next question, I, I might just uh, stay then uh, in, in the context of transatlantic relations because you put it out there. Um, you had a front row seat basically to the chatter that goes on uh, on the Hill and certainly around Washington um, as to what's happening in Europe. Um, we know at the same time that the incumbent president is not uh, uh, very committed to uh, the transatlantic alliance or contrary he's been known to question you know uh, uh, u.s commitments towards europe or the lack of uh, you know, military spending in some of the major powers and so on and so forth profess basically that the european union is is a kind of nightmare in, in a similar fashion to many of the populists and Eurosceptics around the old continent so um in your view then, uh, are we, or have we been presented with the inherent problem of kind of split policies, so to speak, uh, when it comes to dealing with China? You said transatlantic relations are crucial, but we, we see basically that there is this dissonance coming from within the US government um, from different branches. You know, it's fair to say that uh, on, on China, uh, Donald Trump has someone somewhat speeded up the uh, the wake up call in europe and that i'm not talking about the, you know the uh, pandemic uh, but but uh, but in the past 2 years um, there was a sort of parallel move with um, europeans waking up to strategic investments from china uh, and the screening mechanism i was referring to on on foreign investments came out of a reflection following the 2016 uh, uh, peak year of Chinese investments in Europe and, and, um, and following the 2008-2010 um, debt crisis, uh, which uh, we, we discussed earlier, um, there is a kind of, you know, uh, something that's been happening anyway. But, but I have to say the fact, uh, you know, uh, the, the Americans have been so... Uh, uh, pushy on this, um, the trade sanctions. I think, you know, some of the Europeans are also uh, now concerned, particularly uh, when it comes to technology. And there was a, a story uh, in, in 2016 when a Chinese company bought uh, KUKA, which is Germany's top robotics company, uh, you know, very uh, jewel of the German economy and technology. And I think in, even in Germany, where the, the trade relationship with China is fairly balanced and fairly, uh, and, and many, you know, car industries particularly are benefiting from the close relationship with, um, with China. Uh, I think, you know, many people now feel concerned about this, the, the Made in China 2025 plan, which is somewhat... Uh, um, slowed down, at least the rhetoric has been slowed down in China. Um, but if you look at what's happening in the US, of course, it's much tougher. It's the, the Pharma Act that, that prevents Chinese companies to, uh, you know, set foot in some, some, to some degrees in, um, in, in, in the, on the US soil. 
um, it's uh, you know, no 5G, uh, no Huawei, uh, it's uh, you know, Chinese media have to register and, and, uh, and, and as foreign agents. And in fact, that's been uh, um, reciprocated, so to speak, by China, which, you know, which expelled some, uh, quite a lot of uh, US uh, foreign correspondents from the New York Times and so on. So, you know, it's, it's much tougher on, on the sort of China-US um, uh, sides. Uh, and, 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 and it should be really, because if we were, if we were all sort of facing such a dramatic uh, development, then, then, you know, we were, we were, we would be on the brink of war. Um, and, and of course, Europe is not a, a hard power, although uh, it's trying to, to build itself as a, as a sort of medium hard power, I would say, middle hard power. Um, uh, but, you know, Germany, Germany, of course, has been a little bit, um, slow in reacting to this idea, uh, but France, of course, has been in the lead, and, and so is the UK. Uh, but I think people are now, you know, thinking we should, uh, we should also uh, uh, be more of a hard power. And maybe even project some of that power over to the Indo-Pacific. I know that you had some thoughts in your uh, um, uh, policy report for Carnegie recently. Yeah. That's right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, France obviously is, is, has a presence in the Pacific, the UK also. Um, the UK Navy is not really, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the capacity to, to expand too much in the Pacific for the time being. Um, but certainly the France-Australia uh, partnership has been quite strong. And um, I think uh, that there is a growing interest in Europe for this. Now, how many countries can actually be part of that effort? Uh, that's the issue, uh, especially with, uh, um, you know, government money will be, will be short. People will have to, they, they will have to prioritize. Gov politicians will have to prioritize. And, and very few countries can actually uh, invest uh, on the long term. And obviously France will have another aircraft carrier. It's, it's working on it. It's going to cost, you know, billions and billions of, of euros. But, um, but it's, it's part of the, of, of the French projection force. Uh, and the UK will, will, should have at least one or two aircraft carriers in the next uh, five to 10 years. So ho hopefully that will, that will lead to, to more corporations with, you know, with Australia, with New Zealand, and, and with the US and, and, and other players in, in, in the Indo-Pacific. Great, and staying in this sort of realm of major power competition, I can see some of the questions that have been posed are actually from some of my students who seemingly can't get enough of uh, Zoom lectures uh, or, or they're just uh, uh, very masochistic as, at this point, given that we are very late in the semester as well. Uh, but uh, one from, from Rebecca Rittin who is asking, uh, what about Russia and this uh, kind of growing sense of alignment uh, between China and Russia, and uh, especially uh, uh, kind of uh, where all of that fits in vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis China's influence in Europe, which might be some of the stomping ground as well for uh, Russia as well, particularly in the East. Are they just kind of pretending that the bear and the panda don't kind of mix together over there, or uh, what's your sense? So there's some kind of alignment when it comes to the uh, the propaganda uh, techniques, although of course, uh, on one hand, you have uh, the RTs and the Sputniks of this world uh, that that are sort of operating uh, in a sort of disinformation uh, model, and and then you have China that is basically wants to set the agenda on China and does not want other people to speak about China. Uh, that is the main thing, the main difference. Uh, Russia is there to disturb, obviously, to, to, uh, to interfere, to, to disturb democ democracies. And, and China, I would say, is more uh, uh, subdued, maybe, and, and, and uh, uh, it, it's very keen on defending its policies. And, 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 you know, and defending uh, whatever China is doing and, and all over the world and the, and the Chinese people. And whenever a, a Chinese citizen is in trouble, the Chinese embassies immediately 
intervene. Now, of course, that includes also Taiwan, that includes Xinjiang, that includes Hong Kong. All these issues are considered highly um, uh, critical for, 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 for China. So whoever so-called interferes in, this, uh, in these fields, uh, that includes the UK, for example, as the former colonial power of Hong Kong, uh, whenever the UK says anything about about Hong Kong. Immediately, the, the, the British uh, ambassador to, to London uh, reacts uh, by a strong message and all this and, and sort of rubbishes the, uh, the joint declaration and, and, and all these um, agreements that were signed in the, in the 80s and the 90s before, before the handover of Hong Kong to China in 1997. Great, and we are getting to uh, the last question from the audience, and I might have just a little one uh, to, to finish up with. Uh, so Nash Sharifi, I said another one of my students, um, she was wondering about uh, the pledges to the WHO, particularly in light of China's overnight pledge for, for WHO, so whether uh, the EU should be more um, involved in that part of the, the story in providing aid through WHO or whether the EU just suffers from really bad PR and is already contributing quite a lot. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts or, or comments on that? Yes, yeah, so of course uh, it, 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 it's kind of unbelievable that the EU is sitting on the fences of, of this debate. Uh, I mean, true, the, the US has been the first contributor to WHO for quite some time, and China has recently increased uh, with sort of um, 30, 30 million dollar, um, you know, a new contribution to WHO. Um, and, but China is sort of lagging behind in many international organizations, which it, it, it usually considers as pro-Western or pro-US, which is why it's not contributing. Whenever it switches to the other side, and that's the case with UNESCO, for example, the, the UN Organization for, for Culture, uh, which the US doesn't consider as, as US friendly, so therefore has withdrawn, uh, then of course other players are moving in. Um, now the EU, the problem, of course, they, you know, they all contribute, uh, EU members, and, and there's no other organization than WHO to handle uh, a crisis that, like the one we have. So therefore, uh, you know, I think the EU policy and most uh, EU members' policy is to, to support the, the, the World Health Organization and therefore try to, to keep the Americans on board. But, you know, it's very difficult with, with Donald Trump to, to convince him that, that, you know, being part of WHO or WTO or UNESCO, or you name it, is, is, a, is a good system. And I think it's wrong because obviously uh, the, the UN system is not perfect, but that's the one we have and we cannot sort of rebuild the, the, the post-1945 word in one day. Uh, if, if WHO needs to be changed, to be reformed, then we should think about it, but not right in the middle of this crisis. Great, and um, I am going to use the chair's prerogative uh, to ask the final question and really, I mean, it's one that you can write an essay on or you can just try to maybe answer it in 30, seconds to a minute, uh, which is all we have left. And that's um, your opinion on COVID-19 pandemic, whether it's this sort of event that accelerates history or changes it entirely. So um, as I said, essay type discuss in 30 seconds to 5,000 words. Yeah, as I said, it's not gonna be business as usual anymore. Uh, it, it, it does in, it impact people directly. So uh, anything that impacts, uh, you know, uh, billions of people around the world in, in, in just a few weeks like this is a game changer. And, and it's going to be a game changer in, 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 in geopolitics. And the difference is that, you know, uh, whenever, you know, uh, a geopolitical crisis reaches out, uh, all, you know, all kinds of people, including those that are not particularly interested in geopolitics, then, then I think it's, it's going to be a, a, a massive... Uh, uh, changed and, and of course we've, we're not out of this game yet and um, so so the long-term consequences will be will be uh, wide and and uh, and therefore yeah i think it's it's not going to be the same word 
Great. Um, that was fantastic, Philippe. Thank you again for taking uh, a time from your morning uh, in sunny Brittany. Um, so uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. It's been great uh, fielding some of the questions from the audience as well. Uh, I hope that you join us for future U.S. Study Center webinars. We have one coming up just in two days' time with actually your colleague from next door, Ed Kennedy School Ambassador Wendy Sherman, uh, who was one of the leads on uh, the uh, JCPOA or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action known as the Iran deal, uh, a very prominent uh, uh, part of the Obama administration. She'll be talking about US foreign policy, Iran and the US after the 2020 election with our CEO and a non-resident uh, um, fellow, so Professor Simon Jackman and Bruce Wolfe uh, on Thursday morning. So we will be back to the regular programming of morning webinars. Uh, and again, thank you all for trialing this new evening time to accommodate all of, all of the people who are uh, in the GMT to GMT plus 12 time zones. Um, it's been great. So thank you again, Philippe. Thank you, Garana. It's been, it's been great.